Amen. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. What a glorious truth. No one can pluck us from the hand of God. What did that song say? But up from the grave, he rose again. We have a death-defying Savior. And Psalm 16 is all about that reality. It's all about helping us seek the face of God in the face of death. It's all about showing us what it looks like. What, what, is, what does a life of faith look like that's going to seek God in the reality of death? And David holds out hope to us, and David speaks words that he only had a faint whiff of what they were about. He spoke better than he knew. For his words would be picked up in the New Testament and they would be the substance of the sermons of the early apostles as they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and, be, and laid before people this death-defying Savior who could rescue people from sin and suffering and death itself. So I want you to listen to this psalm knowing that in the heart of the Old Testament, God had promised long ago through the worship and prayer and song of faith in the heart of David that one day he would save people from death itself and he would reverse the effects of the curse and he would do it through one who was like David who was a greater David. Look with me at Psalm 16, and we'll read it, and then we'll pray. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom my is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my, in the night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or the grave 
or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This is the Word of the Lord to us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for this psalm. We thank You that this song is just so full of riches and, and, and gold and spiritual truth, Lord. That's, that's a treasure to our lives to unfold. And I pray that we would taste and see the Lord is good this morning. I pray, God, that You would help us to soar with confidence in You in the face of the reality of death and the horror of death and the ugliness of death. But to know, Lord, that You triumphed over the grave. That You did not let Your Holy One see corruption, but You rose Him up. And we thank You, Lord God, that because You live, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we can face the most difficult realities of life. We can live by faith in life and even through death because we have a glorious and majestic God who swallowed up death in victory by sending His only Son. And Lord, we thank You for this great truth. We pray that as we get into this psalm, that it would be like healing balm in our soul, that it would be like strength and vitality to our faith, that it would be like hope to uh, cover over the despair, Lord, that we can often have, and Lord, that it would be medicine where we need it most. And as we look into a world and see tragedy and suffering and difficulty all around us, we need the words of Scripture breathed out by God to fuel our faith, to live for You, and to live a gloriously different way, to live a way that knows You are the path of life. You, you make known the path of life, and at Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Spirit of God, come and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when we look at Psalm 16, we are entering in. We're entering into the heart cry of a man who trusted God. A man who was no stranger to suffering and no stranger to death and no stranger to difficulty. We look and we peer through the eyes of David into a world where danger and peril and the imminent threat of death are about him. Because David, we don't, we don't know exactly what was going on at this time because the psalm doesn't say, but it leaves it open because ultimately we know that David is the same David who called out Goliath and went and picked up five smooth stones and stood before the giant. And death was a very real reality, but his confidence was in another. We also know that David was one who was pursued into the wilderness like an outlaw and a rebel and a vagabond by his own father-in-law 
who would chase him down, try to kill him, and he'd be living in caves, scrounging for food. He knew the threat of death. He would bury two of his children. He would be heartbroken at the deep rebellion of one of his own sons, Absalom, who would seek to kill him. David was a man who was not a stranger. He didn't, he didn't walk into suffering like a, a novice and, 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 and pen words that were just kind of like fluff to throw out there to make people feel good. He was a man who knew what it meant to have God at his side. I will set the Lord always before me. I will set the Lord always before me. And if He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. That's David. But something more is going on in this psalm than the heart cry of faith or the declaration of confidence or the sweet blessing of of putting God at the center of all you do. David was speaking of better things. David was speaking of one greater than himself. And the Apostle Peter reminds us what happens sometimes in the Old Testament when the prophets speak in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, he says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, but you, brothers and sisters, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things that angels long to look into. That's what happens when you read Psalm 16. Angels long to look into the glories that are fit for the people of God as they trust the Lord and experience the blessing and nurture and help of a death-defying Savior and God so they can walk into the face of death and into the jaws of death knowing that God will not let His Holy One see corruption. And that was, of course, speaking of Jesus. And if He lives, we will live. Also, that's hope that will put steel in your spiritual spine and strength in your soul and rock under your feet so that you can say with David, I will always set the Lord before me. And Jesus taught us that It's not merely death that we need to fear if we're without Christ, but something worse 
when he said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 4, I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him after he has killed the body has authority to cast into hell. I tell you, fear him. So this psalm is helping us with the reality of death and with the reality of something far greater and far more tragic than death itself, but with the, the, the path of life, as David says in verse 11. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David wants to lead us through the path of trusting God in the face of danger and death and fear to have a rock-solid confidence and to stand knowing that as we trust the Lord, glorious, heavenly, joyous realities, sweeter than honey and richer than treasure, are meant for the people of God. That's where we're headed. So let's look at it. David's prayer. There's only one verse in this whole psalm that is an actual prayer, and the rest of it is a song of confidence in God. Verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, O God. That's the cry of a, a heart dependent on God. That's the cry of faith. That's the cry of, 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 of a man who's looking to God in the midst of danger and suffering and difficulty with a heart full of faith that he knows I need to cry out to God. So when David stood before the giant Goliath, and he picked up those stones, we know he prayed. He knew who would give him the victory. When David was being chased by his father-in-law father in the wilderness, when he was having spears chucked at his head at the dinner table, David prayed heart cries of, Preserve me, O God! And when he was on the run, his own son wanting to put him to death and take his crown. He couldn't help but just cry out, Preserve me, O God. In you I take refuge. Have you ever felt that way before? Just, I need help right now. I need help. I am a mess and I need help. I'm in real trouble. I'm in real danger and I need God to do something. And if he doesn't do something, I've got no hope. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David saw that the Lord was like a a fortress. The Lord was like a strong tower. The Lord is a strong tower and the righteous will run into him and be safe. David knew that. David knew the place of refuge. He knew the place to go. So you might see verse 1 and see the banner over it. The Lord is my refuge. 
Can you say that, brothers and sisters? Can, can you say, the Lord is my refuge, and I'm going to run into Him in times of trouble. I'm going to run to Him when my heart is breaking. I'm going to run to Him when I'm in difficulty. I'm going to run to Him when I'm under attack. I'm going to run to Him when I'm afraid. When I am afraid, I will trust in You. That's the cry of a man who knows the Lord is his refuge. There's real faith being expressed. There's a real heart cry of dependence. There's real kneeling going on before the Lord, our God, our maker. When's the last time that you said, the Lord, the Lord is my refuge. Perhaps we're so busy with stuff in life. We're so distracted. We're so we're so busy with stuff that we've got to do that we've forgotten to kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, and come to Him as a refuge. And David knew this was life and death. I can't, I can't not come to my Lord. I must come in the face of death and danger and difficulty. That was David's pattern. That was also Jesus' pattern. It's said in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark that after a full day of ministry, Jesus is casting out demons. Jesus is healing the sick. Jesus has crowds coming to His doorstep. He's just doing ministry 24-7. Almost. And Mark 135 says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. The Lord had to pray. The Lord went to the Father in prayer to be recharged, to be empowered, to be renewed, to, be, to, to, to ultimately be strengthened. And then He went out and did it again. And the very next thing we hear Him saying is, I must preach the Gospel to the next towns. For this is why I came. David's confidence, or David's prayer, was also Jesus' prayer. And the Lord knew what it was to look to the Father in the midst of a deep angst and consternation as the day before He was crucified or on the eve that He would be uh, arrested. He sweat drops of blood in the garden and prayed to the Father seeking Him. This is a pattern for us. That's what we're to be doing. We're to be coming before the Lord as our refuge. And if Jesus had to do it, if we're not doing it, we're in trouble. But there's fresh grace for us to resolve today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek God. I'm going to, I'm going to resolve to cry out, preserve me, O God, for in You I take Refuge. Is that not what Proverbs 3 teaches us? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and let Him direct your paths. Lean on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Rely on the Lord. And He will show up for you. Ask. Seek. 
and you will find is that your heart cry do you feel that in your bones that i've got to seek god I've got to seek Him. I've got to trust Him. I've got to rely on Him. He is my refuge and my hope. It's not going to be binging Netflix. It's not going to be busying myself with the to-do list. It's going to be on my knees before the Lord coming to Him and crying out like David did in the midst of the spiritual battle. Preserve me, O God, for in You I take refuge. So we see David prays. And then that prayer begins to move him to confidence in God. It begins to move him somewhere. He's going somewhere in this psalm. He's moving. Look at verse 2. David's confidence. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. And I have no good apart from You. That's amazing. It's like, it's like the prayer is lifting him. It's like as he's praying, he's getting strength. It's as he's praying, his confidence is coming in. As he's praying, it's like, yes, the Lord is my Lord. There's a personal, intimate relationship with God and he's, he's confessing it. Any Christianity that doesn't end in confessing God and confessing Jesus and proclaiming the name of God the Lord is my Lord, is no Christianity at all. But this heart cry of David turns into confidence in God because when you kneel before the Lord your God, your Maker, He lifts you up and He brings you into that rock-solid faith that you know the Lord is my God. He's my God. It's not like He's aloof out there. He's my God. He's my personal God. He, I know Him. There's a relationship there. That's... Amazing. And there's different words. If you notice in verse 2, it says, I say to the Lord, all capitals, that's Yahweh, that's the covenant name of God. That's the, 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 the name that was revealed to the people of God as a special revelation of God's covenant fidelity and His faithfulness and His affection and His love. I say to this Yahweh, this Lord, you are my Adonai, my Lord, my Adonai, that, that, that word means my sovereign, my king, my ruler. David is acknowledging submission to God. He's acknowledging something's going on in his soul where he begins to bow before God, where he begins to submit his life to God, where he begins to say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm done fighting you. I'm done. I'm done doing it my own way. I'm done trying to just pull things up by my bootstraps and eat through life. I am going to submit to you, Lord. You're my king. Have you ever said that? Has there, has there ever been something going on in your heart like, Lord, you're my God and I submit to you. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm yours. I am yours. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. That's what it means to make the Lord your King. That's why proclaiming Jesus as Lord in the New Testament, you can't proclaim Jesus as Lord and actually mean it unless the Holy Spirit's doing something in you. 1 Corinthians 12. You can't really say, Lord, you're my Lord, 
And I'm bowing to you. I'm surrendering to you. Unless God's doing something there in your heart. Well, that's happening for David. You are my Lord. You're the covenant-keeping God. You're the sovereign Lord. You've been protecting me all along. You've been there through suffering. You've been there through death. You've been there through difficulty. You've been there for through the heights of joy when I was dancing and making a fool of myself because I would be undignified before the Lord. He knew the heights of joy and the depths of despair because the Lord is his Lord. And oh, I want us to taste and see the goodness of submitting your life to God and trusting him and being able to wave the banner of King David and to say with verse 2, I have no good apart from you. That's a bold statement. There is nothing good in my life apart from you, O oh God. The Lord is utterly good. His character is good. And you will not have any good apart from Him. In fact, sin is when we seek good apart from God. We seek the good apart from God. What happened in the garden? Did God really say you shouldn't eat of the fruit? You shouldn't eat that? Are you sure He said that? No, it's going to be good for you. And He tempted Eve and Adam to Pursue the good apart from God. Instead of what David's heart cry is, I have no good apart from you, O God. Is that your heart cry? Can you sing with Psalm 103 and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is God. This is the goodness of God. And this is the, the summoning of the blessing of God within the soul as you surrender all to Him. And you recognize He is where all the good and beauty comes from and when your soul is gripped by God and you're trusting in Jesus as the Savior what did he say apart from me you can do nothing but in me you're satisfied in me there's abundant life I'm the good shepherd I lay down my life for my sheep and my sheep know me and they hear my voice and they follow and I came the the, the devil he comes to rob steal and destroy but I came to give life and to give it abundantly David sees all his good is from trusting God the Lord is an overflowing fountain of goodness in his life and when we deviate from the fountain and we go to broken cisterns that can hold no water we are left empty what are you trusting in that's a broken cistern. That's not a fountain. It's not good. It's not doing good for you. It's enslaving. It's ensnaring. It's destroying. It's like a pit. And, and what is the promise that we just sung in Psalm 103? But that He redeems your life from the pit. If you'll turn, if you'll trust Him, He forgives all your iniquity. He comes to you with mercy and He satisfies you with good. That's the Lord's overflowing fountain 
And we've already seen through this psalm, right? Verse 1, the Lord is my good refuge. You want to know goodness? He's a refuge to you. No one could snatch you from his hands. He's going to preserve you, protect you. The Lord is your good king, his care and provision for you. Verse 2, the Lord brings, verse 3, a good blessing of his people and the preservation of his people and the joy in the presence of his people. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, David says, in whom I is all my delight. That's a wonderful thing to know the the the. The blanket of love that can cover you when you're around the people of God. That's the delight of David's soul. The Lord is good to me and he provides fellowship of delightful, like-minded believers who love me. They're not just trying to get stuff from me. They just, they love me because they love the Lord. And the, the overflow of that is just love for the people of God. Verse 4 says that the Lord provides the good of avoiding the sorrows of idolatry. Look at, look at what David says here. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Oh, thank you, God. I'm preserved from the idolatry that would just reign in my life unless you got a hold of me. That's the good that flows from the fountain of God to us. And how many of us know and have tasted the sorrows of running after another God? It's empty. It brings sorrow. It brings misery. And David is like, I'm not even going to take, I'm not even going to take their names on my lips, nor will I pour out their blood offerings. He's talking about these pagan idolatrous practices that Israel got involved in. And that sometimes we just go, we put different labels on them today. But sex, drugs, alcohol, power, pursuit of pleasure, all those things becoming a God. We still have them around today. Instead, what does David say? He glories in the good reality of verse 5 is that the Lord is his portion in his cup. The Lord's like a, the Lord's like a sweet meal. You know, he's like getting a feast from our best delivered to our doorstep. And it's just like, <laughs> let's take and eat. Right. It's like getting, you, you know, you're running a marathon and you're parched and you're getting a cold glass of water at the end of the race. And, 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 and it's just like quenches your thirst. The Lord will quench your spiritual hunger and your thirst because he's the chosen portion and cup of my life. And he holds us in his hands. That's why it says, verse 5, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And I would love to spend a lot of time there. But I'm going to tell you, like this, this psalm is just overflowing with the goodness of God. So I commend it for your reading. Continue to just mine its truths this week. Wrestle with it and allow God to just let those good things bubble into your soul. And we move from seeing that, that David's prayer encourages us and David's confidence encourages us. And now David has a, an altogether radical, glorious center to his life. He puts God first in all things. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. 
I love this verse. He said, I set the Lord always before me. I'm going to put the Lord first. I'm going to make Him the main thing. I'm going to put Him at the center of my life. He's going to be the blazing furnace that heats everything in my life to the glory of God. And I set, my, I set the Lord before me. And He's at my right hand. That's like an Old Testament way of saying what Jesus taught in Matthew 6.33. But seek the kingdom and His righteousness and everything else shall be added unto you. When you put God first, brothers and sisters, everything else begins to fall into place. When you don't put Him first, everything else begins to unravel. I've shared before, it's like getting the buttons on your shirt wrong and you try to walk out and it looks all newfangled and weird and, and you come out looking like, you know, something off of some weird, you know, show when you got to get that button right and then everything aligns all the way down. That first button has to be right. David put the Lord at the center of everything he did and he lived with a reality that he was before the face of God. Do you realize that we live every moment, every breath, every word we speak, every action we do in these bodies, we do before the face of God. And David had this, he had this conscious awareness of it because he had this relationship with God that he, could, he, just, he, he was hungry for God. He saw the blessings of God. Did that make him, you know, he's the first to admit that he was not without fa failure. So the same David who puts God at the center is also the, the same David who knew what it was like to not put him at the center. Psalm 51 was penned by David after he had committed gross sin. And he is holding out hope to us in this psalm that we can get the buttons right when we put God first, when we begin to acknowledge our need for him. And we can say, because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And maybe you feel today like, I don't have a lot of confidence in God. I don't have a lot of peace right now. I don't have a lot of security. I don't, I don't sense this. I'm not in touch with it. Something is just broken or wrong. And I just want to encourage you with the words of David because you need to know that David knew what it was to repent. He knew what it was to get right with God. He knew what it was to fall on his face before God, acknowledge his need, and then he began to taste and see the goodness of knowing that he's had a shepherd with him all the while long. You think God's left you even when you abandon Him? He's not left you. He's right there. He's longing for you to come back. And so you can sing with Psalm 23-4 when you're in your darkest moment, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. So David knows when he puts God first, when he knows that, that, that God is first and that God is with him, that in the darkest moment, the presence of God is what sustains him. That's why he sets the Lord before him always. And it's not like David is saying, okay, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control God and I'll set him here. And then, okay, you just be there. Like God is, you know, he's not treating the Lord as an idol. What he's saying is that he's setting his affection on God. He's setting his course on God. Like you set your alarm clock each morning and you want to get up at a certain time. You are going to fix your heart and your mind on God. Be intentional. Put your mind before the book. Get, your, get this book in your heart. Meet him in the scriptures. Meet him in Psalm 16. Meet him in Psalm 23. Meet him in the pages of the New Testament. He's ready to walk with you through whatever suffering you have, and he's a glorious counselor. David knew exactly what you and I need most. We need a heart that is just gripped by God, putting God first, and saying with the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but you? And is there nothing on earth that I desire besides you? My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forevermore. Can you cry out like that to God in prayer? Can you long for Him like like, if I don't have God, I have really nothing. David knew that this was the key to a life well lived. God at the center. He didn't just believe facts about God. He didn't just believe, you know, in, 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 in God as, as this aloof you know, being that controls all things, but he saw that the Lord meant for him to have a relationship where he was ultimately most satisfied in God himself. And then everything else began to write. Everything else began to fall into place. But if we're left here, brothers and sisters, we've got a great way to live life but we haven't yet seen what it means to conquer death. We haven't yet seen the promises of Psalm 16 and the glorious realities that get picked up in the New Testament. And David had a path set before him that I want to lay before you, and then I want to close with just going into the New Testament and soaring with what Peter preached to the first century people around him. And we're just going to get encouragement from that in the face of death. Let's look at it first in David's words. Verse 9, Psalm 16, verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad. In light of all these truths that we've been rehearsing, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You're not going to let it end in the grave. You're not going to let me down. You're not going to let me ultimately and finally decay in some grave. He will not let His Holy One see corruption. And then He ends saying, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is going on into eternity forever. And we live, we live in a little sliver of a moment. And eternity goes on and on and on and on and on. And the blessings of God 
and joy forever. And David is saying, God's got me in this moment. And He's going to take me into forever glory. He's going to take me into forever joy. He's going to take me into forever pleasure. But I want to give you some solid rock right here. And I want to tell you about what I'm going to do in sending my son, the greater David, to come and conquer death itself and to deal with your sin and to deal with your idolatry and to deal with your greatest problems and swallow up death in victory and rise up out of the grave. Because there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end the way is death. And then there's God's way. And He makes known the path of life. So listen to the words of the Apostle Peter if you want hope in the midst of dark times. Listen to Acts chapter 2, the greatest, one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And Peter picks up, Paul, or, or, picks up David's words and unfolds them before thousands of people. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was the plan of God to send Jesus for you. This Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death. That's what Jesus did. He loosed the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. That's what David's pointing to. It's not possible for Jesus to be held by the grave. He must rise forth. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue, rejo or my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life and you will make me full of gladness in your presence. And here's his explanation. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he would not be abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And every one of the apostles but one would experience a martyr's death because they were death-defying followers of Jesus because they knew that their Savior conquered the grave. Their Savior triumphed over the grave. No one who follows Jesus need fear death and the ultimate corruption of their flesh because one day they will be made new just as surely as He was. We have a death-defying Savior. Why did Christians live the way they did in the first century and the following centuries? Because they knew that death was not the end. They knew that the jaws of death had been ripped open by the resurrection of Jesus and that the sons and daughters of God would be brought to glory. 
And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever comes through me will be saved. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. What do the men who hear Peter preach this sermon do but fall on their faces and say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus. If you have received Jesus as your Lord, you can look death in the face knowing it's been conquered, knowing it's been swallowed up, knowing that the first century Christians could cry out and say, oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death and the jaws of death have been ripped open forever by the Savior who was raised, who's at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes for you. And any one of you who do not know Jesus, any one of you who need to get right with the Lord, any one of you who feel like I have just been waiting for God to come along and just grab me up because I need Him and I want to be like David. You need to know that this psalm was penned to give you hope. And there's no greater hope in all the world than the slaughtered Lamb of God who died on a cross, was buried, and was raised up three days later to give life to anybody who will believe. Let's pray. Father, this psalm is such an encouragement to our souls. We're reminded, Lord, that you give life to all who seek you. You say you've made known the path of life. And Lord, perhaps you've been speaking to hearts today that they need more of the life of Christ. They need to reorient priorities. They need to put you first. They need to put you at the center Perhaps there are some in here who just need to get rid of idolatry. They need to, to rid themselves of idols and turn to the living God. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would move upon our hearts, that you would open our hearts to receive this message, receive these truths, be glad in them. They're meant to make our hearts glad. They're meant to give us hope in the midst of the grave. They're, they're meant to encourage our souls through the darkest hour. And I just pray that Psalm 16 and Peter's proclamation of it would be like radiant glory in our hearts and blow upon us now fresh encouragement as we sing and as we praise and as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen.